Welcome to Globally Speaking, sponsored by Moravia and Nimsy Insights. Are you ready to dive into the most critical issues impacting language localization today? Globally Speaking is an independent program designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who's engaged in global communications. Your hosts for Globally Speaking are Renato Beninato and Michael Stevens. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. And now, here are Renato and Michael. I'm Michael Stevens. I'm Renato Beninato. And today on Globally Speaking, Renato, you have invited someone to talk about quality, and I know you hate talking about quality, so why would you do that? Well... As I say, quality doesn't matter. It's something that you don't talk about. It's like you don't negotiate with terrorists. You don't talk about quality. That's my position. However, our guest today is a guy that has a fantastic history in our industry. He is one of the fathers of localization as a service and has been involved in all the efforts in the history of the industry related to measuring and controlling quality. Mm. He's a friend of mine. I've worked with him in the past, and I've learned a lot with him. But the thing that I like the most about our guest is that this is a guy who understands our industry so well that the world that we live in today, in the translation and localization space, is the world that he envisioned 20 years ago. 20 years ago, he was talking about these concepts of automated translation, translation as a service, plug-and-play, automatic project management. He was too early for his time. But I think that the initiative that we're going to talk about today, DQF, is something that is more than ripe. Yeah, and so we're going to get to hear from him a little bit about DQF. So let's let him introduce himself. Hello, I'm Jan van der Meer, director of Taos. I think most people know me in the industry. That's at least what they tell me when I accidentally introduce myself at receptions and conferences in this industry. Let's start with what does Taos stand for and what does Taos do? Yes. So, uh, as I said, I've been around for a few decades. Started sort of, yeah, accidentally a translation company around 1980, last century, straight out of university. And that became uh, sort of probably one of the first localization software localization companies in in Europe. And in my business, I've always been extremely interested in the technology, how it could help us to the maximum. After running translation companies for many years, my first company was called Inc. and got swallowed up by Lionbridge. Was that with a C or a K? Okay, it was the okay. raw material in right. and way. At that time, we delivered a lot of translations still printed. You can't wow. imagine it now, but uh, translation by the pound is yeah, what I've heard that called. Exactly, by the kilo in Europe. Yeah, the kilo. You need yeah. to localize it, Michael. <laughs> it was a stack of paper with a big floppy disk on top of that, as big as an old long play record. Another thing you don't see anymore. These well, you do see them again, of course, yeah, but not the big floppy disk. Mm-hmm. Anyway. After running translation companies nationally, European, globally, for many years, I started Taos. Because of my passion for the technology 
And that was sort of a coincidence as well. I, I was running a roundtable meeting at one of the first Lock World conferences in San Francisco for anyone who is particularly interested in machine translation. That was in November 2004. Nobody was really using machine translation at the time, but uh, the big IT companies, Microsoft, IBM, Oracle, etc., some microsystems, they all had one or two people looking at the technology to see what it was you know, capable of. And these people came together for a full day. And it was an exciting day, learning from each other. And at the end of the day, they asked me, can you organize another day like this? And, and that was kind of the beginning of Taos. But what does Taos stand for? I knew you were going to ask that because I actually don't want to say that anymore because it confuses a lot of people. Okay. But now I have to. It's Translation Automation Uses Society. And why I don't like to use the full name anymore is that people then think that the only thing we do is machine translation. But we do so much more these days. It's about uh, technology in general, innovation, quality, what have you. So... But anyway, that's that's a short introduction of Taos. Well, and I would add, I mean, you were also involved. You mentioned your decades of experience. What you didn't say is that you were also one of the founders, one of the initiators of LISA, which was the first industry association, global industry association we had, the Localization Industry Standards Association. I think you have a knack for choosing names for associations that don't do what they say in their names, because LISA didn't do much about standards. <laughs> and Taos doesn't work only on, on translation automation, but that's beside the point. But one of the things that uh, we have avoided, like the plague here in this podcast, is talking about quality. Oh, only when we're forced to do we talk about quality. It's one of those topics that I don't like to talk about because they never end. But if there is somebody in the world that can talk about that, it's you. So we want to start with a grand opening on this topic, covering the idea, because you, you have always been involved with quality initiatives, with metrics, with measuring effort, and you were part of the group that created the LISA standard, the not, not standard, the LISA... QA model. QA model that people still use today. And this is something that was done back in the 90s. But the reality of the world changed completely from what it was at that time where an Excel spreadsheet was a big advancement. What is the involvement of Taos with quality? Yeah, yeah thanks for that question because... And by the way, uh, LISA QA model and then the SAEJ 2450 standard or, or metric, I was heavily involved with that as well. So indeed, I don't know what it is that attracted me to this topic, uh, but let me try. Uh, why it, it, let me say at least why it came up again in the Taos think tank, because originally Taos was just a think tank, you know, bringing people together to think deeply about some of the basic matters that that concern us all like you know how can we how can we help this world communicate better how can we reach more people i mean we're only a couple of hundred thousand professionals working on all this content and the mountain of content keeps growing so we need to be able to do more so as a think tank we came up with the recipes for using machine translation initially but then problem that came up in our conferences, in our roundtable meetings, was also, how do we know we deliver the quality that the users really need? And that problem became bigger and bigger as people started to use more technology, 
or let's say innovative ways of producing the translations because crowdsourcing was another big trend, of course, in the last 15 years or so. And at the same time, you saw a diversification of content. In the old days, we were just translating user instructions, manuals, and what have you. But now people need to translate social media knowledge spaces to support articles and what have you. And in this environment, the old issue of how do you know you're delivering quality became more pressing, more urgent. So as a think tank, we were drawn into this, like, you know, what, what are the models that people are using? Indeed, Lisa QA, SAEJ2450, ISO standards, what have you. But none of them really help us because we need to have different levels of quality, different levels of output. So we started just, again, with our think caps on drafting a model that was more dynamic. And that's how we came up with the dynamic quality framework. And by the way, this is not something that we did just on our own. Taos is, is always engaging with our members and user groups. And we also, for this particular project, we started back in 2010, I believe, already worked very closely together with Dublin City University with uh, Sharon O'Brien. So we got the academic input. And ultimately, we came out again, I think, in 2010 with the white paper called Dynamic Quality Framework. That was the blueprint for a model for assessing quality based on content profiles. And the content profile, I mean, it was maybe a bit pretentious, I don't know, but we set up this, this what we call UTS scoring, utility, timeliness, and sentiment. So three factors by which you could profile the content. Is this content that requires speed, like a virus alert? You don't worry that much about fluency, but the accuracy is important. Or is this content that really you really want to touch people's hearts? You know, it's really about the brand, an advertisement or a marketing leaflet. You need something more fluent. You need something that really speaks very well, is personable and what have you. One question I have in just your description so far, it seems like as the industry commercialized more, that people with business backgrounds solely who didn't have the language background entered into, along with the evolution of the content that was being created, that that sort of outpaced the LISA standard and that's where DQF came in. What other factors do you think were happening at the time that made you say, okay, now is why we need to create this? Good question, Michael. You know, if I place it somehow in our own description of the evolution of the industry, I would say this is typical for the convergence era that we live in, how we labeled this decade that we we work and live in now in our industry. Translation is not an isolated activity anymore. It links with marketing, with support, with anyone in, in, in the social media, in the search, in the IT department. So the translation localization function is very connected to the overall business, which clearly, of course, changes the demands, the, the, the requirements, and we need to think more business-like, as you say. Yeah. It still has that foundation of with the iron triangle of quality, cost, and time. Oh, yeah. But the DQF is able to bend the triangle. Yeah, I think that the key word in, in DQF is dynamic, mm-hmm. right? Because it changes according to the type of content. One of the problems that existed before in every 
quality methodology that is usually driven by the translators is that there is a, a huge focus on errors and mistakes, right? Yeah. The Lisa QA model, you would fail a translation because there was one error. And, and sometimes, in depending on the type of, of document that you're translating, that error might be irrelevant. Or it was... 10 words long yeah. and it yeah. failed because it had one error. <laughs> you, fa- you fail a, a document that is 10 words long. Yeah, it's, it's a classical problem, right? So the element of having a dynamic framework that adapts to the type of content, and it's just a matter of like anything else that you want to measure is agreeing up front what you're going to measure, mm-hmm. right? But tell us more about the DQF and what are the benefits of a program like this and, and uh, eventually... We want to know how it works and how we people, our listeners, can join in and, and participate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I guess I need to describe it a little bit more before we can even talk about benefits because the dynamic, as you rightfully said, that's that's the key characteristic, if you like, you know, that being able to adapt to the content, the audience, the the context. You you need different quality levels. But the next question that must immediately come to mind is then, but how do you measure? And that's exactly the point here. You need to have a way of measuring it precisely, you know, with the phrase that we use very often now, if you can't measure, you can't manage. So how have we been managing the translation business for the last couple of decades? We were not measuring. We basically just, in most cases, asked a in-country reviewer, a subject matter expert, or a linguist, what do you think of this translation? Is it good or bad? And that was, in essence, the way the business was run. Is. Yeah, and is. <laughs> is. It is still run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The majority of the people are not in DQF, unfortunately, but the reality is that most of the work done in the world is done in this archaic way, right? Mm-hmm. You have initiatives like this that we want to help promote because they bring the whole concept of quality to a different level. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And as, as Michael was saying, again, correctly, I mean, we're now connected to many different sort of functions in the enterprise, and we need to think more business-like. So how do we do this? Well, let me very briefly give you an evolution of this think work that we did at TAS, because we came, we published this white paper, which was just a theoretical framework. Like, okay, you need to do content profiling, you need to this and this and this. But then the members came to TAS, we have members, right, you know, who have a lot of influence on what we develop and what we document and so on and put out as research and reports. So they, they said, this is good thinking, but how can we use this? So they asked us, can you create the tools that will actually use us this and let us use this framework? So we developed the DQF tools and they're still running on our website. And at first instance, they were developed for our members to evaluate machine translation output. So you can still go there. It's on our site. You upload a machine-translated text, and you can do productivity post-editing, and so you get a productivity score. You can do adequacy, fluency, A-B testing, empty comparison, and that's nice. But then the members come back and said, but we'd like to not just do our incidental MT evaluations. We'd like to score all of our human translations, everything. You know, so mm-hmm. what we need from you is an API. Because then we can integrate these tools into our cattle, into our workflow system. So there we go. We started developing an API. And this is three years ago. So we delivered the API. And then, of course, we were dependent on the cat 
and translation workflow developers to use this API and create plugins in their technologies. So it's, it's been quite a long process. But when that started to happen, I tell you, we were surprised. that We didn't know that when we started this whole venture. But there is so much data collected in the actual translation process. When a translator is working in Trados or in, in Memsource or an XDM or whatever tool, there is a tracking of how many milliseconds they work on a segment, how many mouse clicks, how many edits they make. Combine that with the metadata that we ask the project manager or whoever is starting the project to provide, like content type, industry, sector, process, which MT tool is behind this process, which technology is used, all of these data points, plus then the production data that's collected during the process of translation and review creates a magnificent set of data that changes the whole business completely. Because now we're in a data-driven business. Now we can measure everything. And that's the aha in our evolution. We had no clue when we started this, but that was the moment when we said, this is a game changer for everyone. It's for everyone. Not Let's not position this as the big brothers watching you, buyer can see it all. We want this to be in the hands of the translator of the OSPs. Everyone in this cascaded supply chain should have its own view of this rich data set. Yeah. And be able to to say, I fire my customer because I don't make any money off this. This machine translation engine is crap. It doesn't deliver me the, the benefits that they told me it would give. That is a huge benefit. And it's no surprise that it puts companies that are smaller size into the conversation with these data-rich companies like the Amazon and the Google and the Facebook. The first time I heard of DQF was having coffee here in Seattle with an Amazon employee. And they said, have you heard about this? And I was still talking about the Lisa standards at the time. And I had to go home and do some homework on it. But because of the rich data level that it gives you, it's really appealing and it makes for better business conversations. Yeah. So I'm software publisher... I'm an LSP. I want to participate in Taos. How does that work? Do I have to buy something? Do I have to donate something? What is, what is the way that you participate in this effort? Because as far as I understand, DQF is not something that you do alone, right? You're part of a community and you, you're sharing some of your metrics so that you can leverage them. Well, indeed. Yeah, for us, we drive this with a vision. And sometimes that's hard because obviously we're not alone in this and, and you can, with the more sophisticated tools, do data aggregation as well within that sort of environment. But, but then you're within a silo, right? You're, in, you're only within that tool environment and you can benchmark maybe your own projects historically or compare within your own organization how you do against another department if they use the same tool set and so on. But what we have in mind here is to, to position this. It's there and it's available for everyone to accept it in this, in this form. But to get one metric for the global translation industry, one platform where you can get your business intelligence. And if we succeed, then that's really the way for everyone in this industry to carry on, to do the real work, you know, to really start adding the value, to stop arguing about issues that don't matter that much you know, anymore because we all make them very big. 
But I need to explain you a little bit more than what's inside under the hood, so to say, of DQF, because I told you we had the DQF tools, we have the content profiling, but the first thing we did was develop the best practices for fluency evaluation, for adequacy or accuracy evaluation. We have also worked with industry, with all the interest groups to document the best practices for post-editing, which are broadly, globally, sort of being referred to the Taos post-editing. And that's all inside the DQF dynamic quality framework. Now, we're lucky something else happened because there was, of course, the Lisa QA model, but most people accepted that that was no longer supported because Lisa doesn't exist. You hope that what you develop is being accepted as a standard, you know, gets sort of in a standard status, so to say. While we were working on this in Europe, there was this other initiative from the German Research Institute, the FKI, the MQM metric, multidimensional quality metrics. And we worked also with the European Commission. European Commission that was funding this MQM project. And there was a follow-up project. And we, we both said, DFKI and Taos, this doesn't make sense you know, to have two metrics being developed at the same time. Industry will be confused again. Everybody will be asking, what are we going to use? DQF, MQM. So we were funded to harmonize the two models. Mm. And that is what you hear people talk about now, DQF, MQM. Some people say MQM, DQF. Depends on where you come from. But it's, it's the same. And it's a harmonized model. And it's, it's becoming a standard now. And it's it, even officially, it's under review by the ASTM, the American Standards Organization. It's being reviewed by ISO, I think. So hopefully it will get this rubber stamp. And under the hood, that's part, that's the core of DQF2. And so then there is the reporting. The DQF dashboard allows you to see real-time reporting of your projects. And two different things are being measured, productivity. And the quality, the productivity is measured totally automatic. You don't need to switch on or off anything. So it counts the number of words output per hour and the number of edits made per segment per hour. So the edit distance, you know, these kind of entities, they're all tracked automatic, fully automatically. And some users are only doing this at the moment. And so they can compare machine translation, translation memory, human translation, by segment, and so the whole promise of DQF to get, is to give you razor-sharp measurements. You, know, you can get the RRI on a segment-by-segment basis. But what's more on that than that is that you can benchmark against industry averages within your peer groups. When does the TALS top 20 quality LSPs list come out? Yeah, well, there you go. And, and you got it. You got it. I don't think we'll, we'll sort of publish this, by the way. I don't know. I know some buyers who are asking for it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess my prediction is that we'll learn that it's not so much about this quality. You know, it's much more refined. It's a whole sort of a, a much bigger statistics. We'll probably, as we develop this data and people have access to all of this data, aggregated data, because the, the one part that I didn't mention that's part of DQF is a data connector that allows you to download all of the data out of DQF database, your own project data and anonymized industry data. 
So everyone can populate their own dashboards because people want, you know, everybody has dashboards and they don't want to come to like Tableau software is using DQF and you can imagine they don't want to go to our primitive dashboard that have the best data visualization in the world. So yeah. they, they were the ones to, to say, we need a data connector. Kind of, I always say it's kind of a reverse API. You, you can download all of the data and then populate your own dashboard. But as we aggregate all this data, I think we'll say it's not about the, the best quality of this particular transaction. There's a lot more behind it. It can lead to some very good business conversations. I think about when I entered the industry, the fear of being benchmarked by a client that I was serving. And so they said, okay, we have four vendors and this is where you're performing it related to those four vendors. And that ended up leading to improvements with our company, better vendor-client relationship. There was great partnership that came out of that. Imagine having that across the industry seems like it could, like you said, help us focus on the things that are important. Yeah, This is why I don't like to talk about quality, because <laughs> if I start pulling that thread, it's never going to end. But a key point and, and a comment that I would like to make to what you're saying, Yap, is that essentially this helps you measure the linguistic quality. But that's only one element in your relationship between all the parties involved. There are other elements that are more important. How do you respond to problems in the quality? How do you adjust your processes to avoid mistakes that were done before? So the value of the data is not so much about, and this is where I have a hard time talking about quality, is that there is a huge focus with everybody in our industry to talk about errors and mistakes, but errors and mistakes are things that you need to make in order to be able to avoid them. Mm -hmm. So the value of a tool like DQF is not so much in what it catches, is what it helps prevent. And I've known Yap for many years, and the value, and, and when Yap says, I have a vision... They usually come true. It comes true. <laughs> <laughs> the world that we live today in the language industry is the world that Yap described 20 years ago. I heard him describing this world of translation out of the wall. Remember your vision of plug and play. And that's what we're having more and more and more today. So if he says that he has a vision, it's going to happen. So jump into this bandwagon. <laughs> that's great. Probably the first place to send people is to the Taos website. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Back to your question, uh, Renato, where do you start? It's as I said, it's a very inclusive model. We didn't want to develop this as a tool for buyers to sort of manage their vendors and translators with much more power or what have you. We wanted it to be a framework for everyone. So we have seven levels of membership. So basically, yes, we ask people. There's free trials, obviously, as for everything these days. But if people like to really start using it, well, first, they need to check, of course, whether their CAT tool or translation workflow system has an integration with DQF. Fortunately, more and more do, and others are working on it. And then they can try it out, and then they can take a TAO subscription for freelance translators. It's uh, 120 euros per year, and it gives them enough capacity because we, we have counters on the volume that go through the pipes, so to say. And for very big companies like Microsoft and eBay and Dell, the subscriptions are higher, much higher, of course, but they also have much bigger volumes they can mm -hmm. process. So that's essentially how it works. Wonderful. Yeah. So you too could be on the same level as Microsoft, Dell, and eBay. 
by getting involved with Taos. Exactly. And yeah. Keep in mind, it's all about getting better. It's not about catching mistakes. That's the thing that irritates me about the most. When, when we talk about quality in our industry, people want to talk about bad quality. You know, that's a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's far beyond that. It's not at all yeah, yeah. about catching mistakes. Yeah, exactly. That's what I like about DQF. I know you were joking, but uh, <laughs> let me tell you in sort of a good s- sequence of what the benefits are that you can start collecting when you start using this. First of all, of course, you have, for the first time, you have an objective way of measuring your quality. You can take informed decisions because you're collecting the data consistently and also in a way that it's comparable to all of your peers in the industry. So you can trust the data that you collect. And you could eventually get to an ROI by segment because you don't only have the review data on quality, but also the productivity data. So another thing that's really very beneficial is the efficiency of reporting. When we worked on this, we were really astounded by we're talking to people, big and small companies, very big companies, when asked, you know, how do you do your quality review and reporting? They very often use some kind of a primitive spreadsheet on the side of their translation workflow where they lock errors to some self-invented or some derivative of an old QA model. And then they have to manually develop reports and copy-paste information. So it's a lot of work. And in DQF, it's real-time and instant reporting on projects, benchmarking, trends reports, and what have you. So big efficiency gains. But then where the real benefits come in is later is on the business intelligence that you can really learn from your data and take more informed decisions about comparing technologies, machine translation engines, vendors, translators, processes, which then in a more sophisticated form will lead to machine learning and developing algorithms that help you to automate Uh, steps in your management process like predictive analysis, resource allocation, confidence scoring. You hear talk about it by the big tech companies sometimes. I think they're making it bigger than it is because we're still early days there. And it's not just for the big guys. That's the whole point. I think we want to see this being shared so that it's available to everyone. So we're going to have to invite you back to talk more about the concept of dynamic quality, quality at source, and all these other concepts, we'll have to make more programs about quality. This podcast was produced by Burns360. You can subscribe to Globally Speaking on iTunes or any number of podcast portals. You should check out our other episodes on globallyspeakingradio.com, where you can find transcripts and old notes for every show. You can also listen to us on your smart speaker. Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, sponsored by Moravia and Nimzi Insights. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback. So until next time, please visit online at www.globallyspeakingradio.com.